0: Uh, This is Robert Picardo, and when I'm not aboard the Federation Starship Voyager, I spend my free time listening to Women at War.
1: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, our Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with me, I have Sue. Hi, everybody. And uh, we have a super, super exciting guest that we are interviewing in this week's episode. But before we get into that, our usual housekeeping and a couple of uh, extra announcements. First of all, just wanted to remind you that we are supported entirely by our patrons on Patreon. You help keep our show up and running. And if you are able to contribute to our show for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to cool, exclusive online bonus uh, content like watch-along tracks and things like that. So uh, check it out at patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. We
0: are also in the midst of a giveaway. We have, thanks to Molly over at Adopt-A-Tribble, a a giant rainbow tribble that we are giving away. And to enter this giveaway, all you have to do is send us an email at crew at at womenatwarp.com and tell us what you would name this tribble. Now, at Adopt-A-Tribble, Molly has a tradition of naming her tribbles after activists, so keep that in mind. And uh, every email we get will be put into a randomizer, and we will choose a winner for this giveaway. So again, shoot us an email to crew at womenorp.com with the intended name for your activist rainbow tribble. And uh, deadline for entry is October
1: 13th at midnight Eastern time. Can I just say that I took a look at Molly's uh, Adopt-a-Tribble Etsy store, and I basically want everything in it. Uh, this is in in no way uh, paid promotion. I just was like, I love her uh, queer positive Star Trek pins and stickers, and I'm super uh, thrilled that she gave us this Rainbow Triple to give away. Yeah, her Etsy store is
0: Tribble Orphanarium. if anybody wants to check that out.
1: Cool. We will share it in our show notes. Yeah, so today... We are interviewing the captain. And uh, by that, we mean Kate Mulgrew, (laughs) um, who, of course, played Captain Janeway. Uh, You know, when we started our show, like, three years ago now, um, we talked a little bit about Captain Janeway in our very first episode. And then our 10th episode was all about Captain Janeway. Um, She is someone that has meant a lot to us. And, uh, Kate Mulgrew, uh, over, you know, the past several years, we, uh, we've talked about, uh, her book, her first book, Born with Teeth, on our book club. Uh, she had a second book that came out this year, uh, called How to Forget, which we talk about in the interview. And we were super thrilled to, uh, Co-present a signing of this book at Star Trek Las Vegas. Um, and really just wowed by all of the work that, uh, she is doing, um, in, on other TV shows, in theater. Um, and it was just such an honor to get to talk to her.
0: Yeah. So, uh, she joined us by phone to record. So you will hear some phone-related audio. Let's be real. Uh, But, uh, we think that the conversation was a lot of fun. And, uh, super thrilling for, for me anyway. I assume for you as well, Jarrah. If I could go back in time and tell, you know, 15 year old me that one day you're going to get, be on the phone with Captain Janeway, I don't think I'd believe it.
1: <laughs> I know. I used to have a poster of Captain Janeway. Have I told the story on the podcast before? Tell it again. Okay. Well, I, I had a poster by my bed and I would ask it for advice. It was like my, what would Captain Janeway do, um, as a kid? And I, yeah, I would have lost it if I knew that this was going to happen. <laughs> so, um, it was very, very exciting and, uh, awesome to talk to her and really can't uh, thank her enough for the time. So, um, as I mentioned in the interview, we talk a little bit about her latest book, How to Forget. Um, and we, uh, don't, give a lot of background in the interview so just a, a brief bit of background um Sue and I have uh, both read it um it is a a daughter's memoir about um the illness and uh, eventual deaths of both of her parents um in very different ways um her father died very suddenly um of uh, cancer and her uh, mother very slowly of, uh, Alzheimer's disease. And, um, it is a really, really powerful book. And, uh, especially, you know, the, the half about her mother was really gut wrenching, uh, for me. Um, and, uh, but also really kind of cathartic and, and, uh, just a really valuable experience that I still feel like I'm learning from.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, obviously agree with you there when what are my words it's interesting to come to an age where your your parents start to have illnesses and you begin to become caretakers for them in in a sort of way and uh that that stage of my life i feel like is is beginning somewhat uh so it is even though it's it's her story I, I think it's felt by a lot of people on a, a deeply personal level, and we certainly saw that uh, in Vegas at the book signing, a lot of people in line uh, to to get their their book signed, talking to us about their own experiences with uh, loss of a parent or, or illness of a parent, and it's just it's, it's deeply personal and yet somehow universal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and some people, including myself, you know, hearing about the topic, um, wonder, you know, am I almost ready to take on reading this book? Um, you know, will it be too hard? And, um, I mean, I just have to say from my own experience, um, my father passed away, um, I, I guess about a year and a half ago. And, um, even though it was a very different, uh, story, I still found that there was this sort of human commonality of the way that we handle the loss of a loved one that was very healing and kind of just reassuring that that this is something that we share as, as humans. And, um, to read about it just really put so eloquently by Kate Mulgrew. Of course, we do talk about Star Trek as well. So. Absolutely. (laughs) And, uh, we get to break some exciting news that, um, about a new, uh, project that she's working on. So, uh, listen through to the end and you will hear about that. And, uh, we are both very, very excited about it. So without further ado, I enjoy our interview with the captain herself, uh, Kate Mulgrew. So um Sue and I uh have a couple questions about uh your most recent book um a question about Star Trek question about Mr. Mercedes maybe um so um we'll just get right into it then um I I wanted to ask uh we had the pleasure of reading your first book Born with Teeth for our women at work book club and recently uh, we've also read your your second book How to Forget um and I was wondering what was it that first drew you to memoir writing in particular well, uh, it seemed the most organic uh,
2: way to go. I wanted to write a book so as to attempt the literary process. I was uh, quite old when I started it. I was in my late 50s. And um, memoir came naturally to me. And uh, so did How to Forget, the second book. It was a sort of, uh, not a natural byproduct of the first, but uh, uh, it sort of, it evoked a necessity in me. And so the second book um, was written, I think, as uh, as a result of having written the first. And the next one will be fiction.
1: Oh, that's pretty exciting.
2: Yes, I am excited about it.
1: Um. In your book, one of the things that really impressed me uh, was how you make every scene come alive by describing details like the lighting, the set of someone's jaw, the temperature, things like that. I'm wondering, how do you capture that level of specificity when you're recounting memories?
2: Well, I think that uh, that's the way I recall. Mm -hmm. I photograph things. I'm the same way as an actress. Uh, I'm the same way when I'm learning a text. I can sort of photograph things. There's a vividness to them. Um, And it sort of runs through my entire family. Everybody in my family is a genius at specificity. Uh, So the set jaw with a cigarette or the drink or the sun slanting a certain way comes naturally to the recollection of the memory itself. It's the stage, and I'm used to that.
1: Amazing. Um, Sue, do you want to ask a question next?
0: Yeah. So in Born With Teeth, you talk a lot about the importance of your work in acting for facing life's challenges. And just now about how that helps you recall very particular details. How much did did acting experiences play into the events you describe
1: and how to forget? You mean in remembering them? Is that what you're saying? Asking? I guess, or coping with the experiences that you describe around... How would uh, my acting help me cope? Did, if at all. <laughs> well, I think
2: I mentioned in uh, a few of the chapters that it had, uh, simply by virtue of the fact that there's a discipline required uh, in acting. There's also an anticipation required. And there's also a schedule required. And those three things really helped me uh, assist in my parents' perspective, illnesses and deaths, particularly my father's, which was far more urgent than my mother's. Um, there's a kind of uh, very strict discipline to acting that I was able to bring to, um, to the effort of all that sadness It also helps you hold the grief in abeyance for a very long time. Mm. Actors are very, very adept at keeping those feelings uh, at arm's length until such time as they need them um, in the characterization of the role.
0: Mm. I was really struck um, by your description of receiving a phone call right before stepping on stage in T at Five. And and how you needed to to step into the role of being Catherine Hepburn for those next two and a half hours before returning to to the realities you were facing. Does that I don't I it, it feels to me like that would cause a I don't know, feeling of guilt if it were me, to to put that aside for two and a half hours or more. Did that feeling ever come upon you or was it a release?
2: All my life. Hmm. Part of the deal. What do you think Star Trek Voyager was all about?
0: Oh, I can I imagine.
2: Home. <laughs> I had two little children at home. I was a single parent and then I was off every day for 16 hours. Hmm. Uh, devastatingly hard. But manageable if you can
1: compartmentalize,
2: which hmm. all actors, all good ones, must learn to do.
1: I feel like one of the incredible things about your book is that um, it brings up a lot of feelings while you're reading it, but then even just recalling it, thinking about these other dynamics of of emotions in our lives and uh, the relationships we have with our parents um, and our family members. And uh, I feel like I'm still really learning from it. So thank you for that. Um, Oh, thank you very much. I'm wondering what advice you would have for our listeners who might be considering writing about their own lives.
2: Be careful. I would caution uh, great self-reflection and I would caution dis- discretion uh, and also a, a kind of uh, hyper-awareness of what it is that you're about to excavate and reveal And be aware that there will be repercussions of whatever nature. They will visit you because you cannot unearth all of those memories and all of those emotions. And you cannot unearth those memories without going through those emotions, without paying some kind of price. Um, I suppose more adept writers, more prolific writers understand this, understand the process better than I have. But I have found that um, tricky business, uh, which is part of the reason I'm going to try fiction next, not only because I think I need to exercise uh, the possibility of uh, really writing. I think memoir, these two books, were a very uh, uh, strong effort. The second one more than the first, but I think to really um, test my literary chops. I have to get into a novel. And then we'll see what we shall see.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we look forward to reading it um, and discussing it on the show. Um, Oh, good, good. I I had one more question related to uh, the book, which is, after your mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, you became very involved in raising awareness and funds for the Alzheimer's Association. And I'm wondering how you would suggest that listeners get involved supporting that work. Well, it's, you know,
2: it's all about money. Um, I'm sorry to be so sort of
1: cynical about it, but after all these years, I've learned
2: that every city has its own chapter. Um, you can certainly go and involve yourself in your uh, local chapter. But if you've got any money at all, the thing is to find a, uh, a group of scientists, a hospital, a research um, a group that you have a great faith in and send them funding. Because that's what it's all about. That's why we're not really very much further uh, along than we certainly should be by this point. But there's not enough money to cover uh, these clinical trials. And it's it's millions upon millions of dollars that are needed. And uh, science is just not getting what it needs. So I would urge everyone to be generous.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we can switch gears a tiny bit and talk a little bit about Star Trek. Uh, Voyager, as you're well aware, will be turning 25 next year. Uh, how do you feel about having played Star Trek's first woman captain to lead a series? And have your feelings about that changed over the last 25 years?
2: No, and they won't change. I feel, I feel great about it. Uh, it was a singular honor. It really was. It was a real adventure. I think I, I was given a, quite a gift when I got this role, which as you know, I got after Jean-Pierre accepted it and then um, quit. Uh, and I'm thankful to her for that as well, for her foresight and her courage. Uh, but I, uh, I understood while I was doing it uh, that it was going to change my life forever. Little did I know at that time though that it could, it would change other lives as well, particularly women in science. And that has been the single most gratifying, uh, aspect of the job, aside from creating a character whom I grew to really love, um, uh, which is maybe three, four, five times in a lifetime for an actress. But to be able to, um, to be able to permeate the greater world to affect it, to influence it, uh, is a wonderful feeling. Um, And I have, uh, I've been nothing less than grateful for it. Just a wonderful, wonderful thing.
0: Do you recall what your first impressions were of Captain Janeway when you were first auditioning or reading the lines, and how you saw her change over the years in the series?
2: My first impression of her was that I, uh I was going to own her mm. i i was I was her. I had a great a high sense of confidence about it um, I didn't know anything about Star Trek. I had never watched any science fiction or read it uh aside from you know george orwell uh uh and i it was not my genre at all, and yet I immediately liked her I immediately understood her, and there was a an instant creative simpatico. And I went into the audition room uh, without a nerve, I'd say, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed myself in front of about 40 people in suits
1: <laughs> and
2: uh, and learned about two or three days later that I'd gotten the role.
1: Is there anything that you see or saw in the character when you were playing her that you think that fans might not have picked up on?
2: Aside from my terror?
1: <laughs> we definitely did not pick no. You, you yeah,
2: well, initially initially there was great, great, uh, great nerves. It was just overwhelming. I mean, this, uh, my audition pieces were, were not techno-babble. They wanted to see what kind of, you know, I don't know, what kind of strengths and weaknesses, what kind of nuance I'd bring to Janeway. It's when I hit the bridge, when I got the part and hit the bridge, at, you know, six o'clock on a Monday morning, and I had three pages of absolute crazy techno babble. I thought, oh my God, how am I ever going to do this? And that was uh, the single hardest thing I think I've ever undertaken as an actress. Not just the techno babble per se, but my, um, my work ethic as an actress, which demands that I understand and uh, absolutely uh, control the, the material so that I can be free with it. Uh, and in order to, it took me uh, months to to understand that I had to endow all of that scientific jargon with uh, authenticity. And that was hard work. But after about six, maybe eight months, um, it began to happen naturally. And after that, uh, the sky was the limit, as they say. I knew what I was doing. It was all mine. And it became quite happy.
0: That's wonderful. Um, with the With the ubiquity of streaming services now, we are seeing a lot of new fans coming to Star Trek. So when people are watching Voyager for the first time, what do you hope they take away from the show? And what do you hope they take away from Janeway's journey specifically?
2: Well, of course, I want them to take away the humanity I hope I brought to the franchise in playing the first female captain. Uh, Janeway was an ardent and very accomplished scientist when I got us lost in the Delta Quadrant. (laughs) The moment I recognized the seriousness and the gravity of what I'd done, what had come to pass, uh, I understood that I had to um, somehow get this complement of 165 back to Earth, and that in so doing, I was going to have to... um, everything I could to reconcile certain warring factions and other factions. I was going to have to transcend certain things. I was going to have to teach uh, uh, the the prime directive all over again. And I think that there was a a depth to Voyager and right next to it a a, a quality of great intrepid courage. Janeway loved uh, adventure. She was really fearless. And I would say that my hands-on crew of nine are equally fearless. And I, I would like to think that we've left people with, um, you know, what am I trying to say, an excited and stimulated imagination, uh, a love of science, uh, and a confidence that women are capable of anything.
1: That's lovely. I definitely take some of that away from it myself um so uh, you know coming into today Star Trek fans know Captain Janeway is a hero usually promoting the ideals of the Federation uh, but in orange is the new black red was somewhat of an anti-hero and in Mr. Mercedes Alma is much more the other side of things. Um, does your approach change as you play these different roles what what is that like to I play? not the Starfleet captain.
2: (laughs) Well, I think it says something about where I feel I needed to go. Uh, I think that after seven years of playing Catherine Janeway, I needed to exercise uh, the other muscles that have lain below The muscles that are perhaps not as brave, not as self-examined, not as wise, not as good, perhaps, but equally interesting. Uh, And, I, you know, Janeway was a gift, as I said to you, and a life-altering one. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm an actress and I've been an actress since I was a girl, long before I knew Captain Janeway was going to come into my life. So it's imperative that I return to uh, the thing that I love, which is acting itself and uh, walking the plank and uh, jumping into uncharted waters with other characters. And at this stage of the game, I'm in my 60s now, uh, 50s when I got red, it's not uncommon that I would be drawn to a character like Polina Um fascinating, uh, fascinating character, wonderful character to play. And the same goes for Alma Lane, although uh, a very different uh, kind of creature. I've never played a psychopath before and I've never dreamt that I would have such joy in, in so doing, but I did. Amalene was an absolute, I felt like I was 22 years old. I can't explain it to you. It was free. I just felt free and completely unshackled. She's outrageous. I have not seen it, uh, uh, but I, I know that what I did was to outrageous. <laughs> so I can only ask for everybody's mercy. But having said that, I would assure you that i do it all over again in the heartbeat. I was only sorry that she died. Um, as for Red Reznikov, that was quite a different journey. A very, very examined uh, and excellent journey, beautifully penned by Genji Kohan about what what would probably happen to a woman uh, like Red uh, in today's prison system. And I think that it was captured, captured beautifully, and I only hope that I rose to the occasion.
0: Awesome. Well, we know you don't have a lot of time tonight, so... Just is there anything else that, that we didn't touch on that you'd like to, to discuss or any other current or upcoming projects to to make our listeners aware of? Well, I think I'm about to start a play
2: um, about about the life of Marie Curie it's called The Half-Life of Marie Curie. I think I'm going into rehearsal in a couple of weeks. It's a two-handed, just two characters. Marie Curie had a great friend whose name was Hertha Ayrton a scientist, a renowned scientist in her own right. That's the part that I'm playing. And uh, it's the story of what happened to Marie Curie after Pierre's death, when she'd had a love affair with uh, Paul Langevin and had been ostracized from the scientific community. And she was dying from uh, radium poisoning mm. and Hertha Ayrton saved her life. So it, it's the story of that tapped her in their lives and it's, it's quite lovely so i'm going into rehearsal for that and that will be at the minetta lane in new york until about christmas time
1: that is really really cool yeah <laughs> it's
2: cool <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a little I, dose of science right <laughs> yes um and another you know um really inspiring uh, woman in science uh so um and you know for- yeah
2: that's why i was i was um captivated by it uh I didn't know who Hertha Ayrton was. She was also a great suffragette, a leader in the movement. Uh, and we're talking, of course, about, you know, uh, just after the turn of the century. So it was, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not only edifying, but it's, it's, it's poignant. It's, it's exacting. It, tell, it shows us a Marie Curie that we've not seen before. And it introduces us to a new person, Hertha Ayrton, whom everyone should know. it's the story of a great, great friendship.
1: I'm so excited to see that this fall. Good. I'm glad. I hope you do. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for making the time to chat with us tonight. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, And uh, you've you've been and continue to be an inspiration to uh, the two of us and our other co-hosts who couldn't make it tonight. Um, Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you both very much. And thanks for everything you did to help me in uh, Las Vegas with my books. I'm very grateful to you for that.
1: You're very welcome. Anytime.
0: (laughs)
2: Bye-bye.
1: All right. Well, um, thank you again uh, to Kate Mulgrew for being with us on the show. It was a really great experience. um, And we're delighted we got to share it with you. Um, Sue, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And I'm Jarrah, and you can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H penguin or at trekkiefeminist.com. And if you are looking to get in touch with the show, which we highly encourage, you can find us at WomenAtWarp.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WomenAtWarp. And you can email us at crew at, women at warp.com. And you can also leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, which helps people find our show. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.